Financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its Hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Now the thing about time is that time isn't really real. It's just your point of view. How does it feel for you? Einstein said he could never understand it all. Planets are spinning through space. Smile upon your face. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of Sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a lovely ride. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. And my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is also in partnership with Roger Wiegand, who, tra- who publishes a newsletter uh, on commodities and commodities futures trading called Trader Tracks. And Chen Lin, who publishes an excellent newsletter called What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? <clears throat> To subscribe to any or all of these letters, you can go to uh, uh, my website at miningstocks.com or you can call my assistant in New York, Claudio Bassi, at 718-457-1426. Excuse me. Again, I want to thank each of you for listening to this show. Thanks to each of you. Uh, We have maintained a number one rating uh, on the business channel, and our numbers are growing very nicely every week, so we thank each of you for that. Uh, of equal importance, of course, we want to also thank uh, our sponsors for making this show financially viable. They are, uh, for the first hour of this show, Barkerville Gold, American Bonanza, Merrick's Gold, Palangio Exploration, Terra Minerals, PMI Resources, Crocodile Gold, and Bayfield Ventures Corp. This week our main guest is a cut from a different cloth. I suspect we won't be talking as much about macroeconomics and politics as we do many weeks, but because the main focus of our guest this week, Roger Conrad, will be on income. How can we secure income from our investments in a world in which treasuries are paying virtually nothing, less than 1% in most cases? And uh, with baby boomers reaching retirement age at a time uh, when the Federal Reserve, again, is punishing savers and rewarding people who spend beyond their means, what are retired folks to do? But it's not just the baby boomers and their need uh, to... 
to secure income to pay the rents and put food on their table as they retire. Uh, that's always an issue, even in the best of times. But these are clearly not the best of times. Richard Russell, who believes, as I do, that we are most likely facing a horrendous decline in the stock market. Um, and by horrendous, I'm thinking along the lines of Ian Gordon's 1,000 on the Dow, Robert Prechter's 600 on the Dow, Dr. Robert McHugh, uh, 0 to 1,000 on the Dow, Arch Crawford, who sees things very much that way as well. These, a number of folks are really calling for this to be an event a decline, a depression, worse than that of the 1930s. So what are we to do, um, and how do we secure income at a time in which jobs are lost and which uh, it's very, very difficult to, um, to make ends meet? Well, I'm hoping Roger Conrad can help us pull, pull some of us guys and gals who are approaching retirement, give us some ideas about how we can prepare for the future in that regard, but not only prepare for the future, we want to also be sure that we have a return of our capital as well as a good return on our capital. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. What happens if we enter a period of hyperinflation, as John Williams is predicting? What happens if we go into this deep depression, as others uh, are suggesting? Uh, but before we get to Mr. Conway to answer some of those questions, I will be talking in a few minutes to Wade Dow. He's the CEO of Linear Gold. Wade will become the CEO of the soon-to-be-merged company that will, be, uh, that will include the merger of Apollo Gold and Linear Gold, and Wade will tell us what he is planning for this new exciting venture uh, going forward, this new uh, gold producer. As we speak, uh, after we speak to Wade, um, I will be talking then to uh, another, uh, to, uh, actually to Ingrid Hibbard of Palangio, uh, Palangio Exploration, which has a very exciting project um, exploration project, to be sure. It's a speculative stock, to be sure, but one I think has a great deal of promise. They are, uh, their property is contiguous with the uh, 60 million ounce Ashland, um, Ashton, I'm sorry, the 60 million um, ounce deposit that is held by Ash the Ashanti deposit is the word I'm looking for in, uh, uh, in Ghana. And uh, the geology looks extremely promising. It seems as though Palangio has a good, uh, their geologists seem to have a good beat on uh, where they can most likely find the extension of that gold onto their property because they have, uh, they have mapped out the same structures, the same gold-bearing structures for more than eight kilometers onto their own property. So that is an extraordinary, exciting uh, prospect. I think at a time when the shares have gotten hammered very hard, uh, it's time for people to perhaps look at, speculative investors at least, to take a look at buying a few shares very possibly, and we'll talk to Ingrid a little bit um, in, in just a little while about that. Uh, so I have coming up um, with me next uh, Wade Dow, Ingrid Hibbard, a little bit later, as I said, Roger Conway, who will be our main guest this week. Um, and in the last segment, we're going to also talk to Roger Wiegan, uh, my partner, and before that, Ian Lambert of Tradewinds. Uh, Ventures, which is another exciting company uh, that is located, uh, that has a property next to the Palangio's old property that really uh, put Ingrid Hibbard and Palangio on the map, and that was the detour, the 10 million ounce detour gold property. Well, uh, we have Ian Lambert's company, Tradewinds, has got their property is contiguous with that uh, world class deposit. So lots of exciting things happening in a day in which gold has hit a new high in a time when the stock market is heading lower, and I think we're heading for some very, uh, a very drastic decline in the equity markets going forward. So it's a time, I think, and I said in my speech here in Vancouver where I'm talking to you from this week, 
that this is the best of times for gold mining companies. I think that we are in a buying opportunity of a lifetime for gold mining companies. And I say that not just because our, our sponsors are mostly gold mining companies. In fact, I would suggest that our sponsors are mostly gold mining companies because that's who I've gone after for sponsorship because I do believe that we are, for, for reasons that I've talked about in the past, we are heading for some extraordinarily bullish times. The profit margins for the major gold mining companies are rising very dramatically. And what we will see, in my view, is a decline uh, or a, we will see uh, profits uh, and cash flowing down the food chain to the junior companies, many of them that I think that we will be talking to on this show, including some of uh, those three companies that we're talking, going to be talking to a little bit later in today's show. Well, I'm going to uh, cut my remarks off now, and we want to go to a commercial break right now because uh, we want to get on with our discussion uh, with, uh, coming up next with Wade Dow. So don't go away. We'll be right back. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. American Bonanza Gold's project, located in Arizona, is scheduled for production in 2010. American Bonanza Gold announced the positive results of its recent feasibility study at its 100% owned Copperstone Gold Mine. The mine is estimated to produce an average of 45,000 ounces of gold annually. At the current spot gold price, this will result in an IRR of 120%. Join the gold bull market. Invest in American Bonanza Gold. Visit the website at AmericanBonanza.com for more exciting information. Don't miss this great opportunity. PMI Gold has just raised $7.5 million to expand drilling at four former gold mines we own in Ghana. Ghana is Africa's second largest gold producer, and with neighbors like Newmont, Anglo Gold, and Goldfields, and a land position equal to the entire length of the Carlin Gold Belt, we're going for the gold. PMI Gold is listed in Canada and Frankfurt, and plans to list on the Australian Stock Exchange to finance development of our first mine at our Kubi Gold Project. Our plans are big and growing. Come grow with us. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Goldfields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer-long by 20-kilometer-wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open-pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. I am Jay Taylor, your host for Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Gold has risen from $250 to well over $1,200 since 2002. That has greatly improved gold mining profit margins and profits for gold investors. But mining stocks are very risky, so you do need to know which stocks have the best chance of success. I believe Magellan Minerals, traded Toronto under the symbol MNM, is one such company. That's why it is a top pick of my newsletter, J. Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Go to MagellanMinerals.com website to learn more. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard, it's just a lovely ride. 
You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. We were supposed to have Wade Dow with us. He's apparently having some difficulty uh, calling in from his location. Uh, But we do have uh, Chen Lin with us right now, Uh, my partner, Chen Lin, who writes this excellent newsletter called What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? Welcome, Chen. Hi, thanks, Jay. Really good to have you with us, and I want to ask you, what are you buying these days? Oh, I mean, uh, these days I've just been watching. I I do a little bit buying because I have been uh, buying a lot of gold stock in the past few weeks. So uh, right now it's like a really thrill to see gold hit another historical high. Today I just closed as a new historical high. And I start seeing some gold, uh, small gold miners start to explode. They start to break out. Uh, there's quite a few uh, stock. I mean, I have a long list of watching lists. I'm watching those real-time code. Uh, you know, some up 8 9 10% uh, just today on no news. So uh, I start see money start to rush in to, to those gold miners, especially smaller size of gold miners. Okay, I know one of your, uh, one of your favorites uh, is Oceana Gold. Would you care to comment on that just a moment? Yeah, Oceana is, is actually down a little bit, down 1.5%. But it's a very good, uh, it's New Zealand-based uh, gold producer. Mm-hmm. They produce uh, three, 300,000 pounds uh, per year at a pretty low cost. And New Zealand dollar term, gold just broke out to a new high. It's over 1,800 New Zealand dollar now. So they're going to make a lot of money. They just closed their hedge at $1,500 New Zealand just a couple months ago. Now it's over 1,800. But they closed out all their hedge, and it's going to be a complete hedge, they're going to make a lot of money. So it's an easy buy here because it's major competitor. The other miners uh, are similar stock scale. You know, you're looking at $2, two billion market cap. Not their market cap is $700 million. So it's easy double from here. You know, probably maybe a triple. I mean, but they're also building another gold mine uh, in Philippines. They're half built already. So they just spent maybe 60 to $100 million on that. They build it. They have another over 100000 over 100,000 ounces, so they, they go to the 400,000 ounce category. Oh. And then they can build up with cash flow. Yeah, each year they get 200 million cash flow now. So. Chen, the mine uh, or the project, it's not a mine yet, the project in the Philippines is a gold and copper project, I believe, is it not? That's right. It's gold and copper. It's about 120,000 ounces of gold plus some copper uh, with copper credit, uh, copper $3 copy, copper zero cost gold. You know something, but now if you you count two dollar copper, maybe like a couple hundred dollar cost in gold, still very low cost gold. Oh, absolutely, that would be a, a hugely profitable operation if they were getting into into potential uh, into production. Have you heard anything about what the expected capital cost might be? Uh, they have built. I think it's between uh, fifty to hundred million um, money left that they need to spend. So they're going to make a decision this week or next week. They're having an AGM. They're going to have a board meeting. I think they're going to make a decision very soon. So we should hear about that 
I was surprised, you know, they don't hear anything by the end of this week. Okay, uh, Chen, uh, stick with us if you would, please. I, I understand we do have Wade Dow with us back. Uh, we were able to get in touch with him now, so right. I'm going to check in. Um, in with just hold if you would hold on, Chen, and listen in. Perhaps you'd have a, a question or two for Wade as well, because uh, you know he's going to be uh, the person taking over the helm of the new combined company of Apollo and Linear Gold. So, uh, Wade, are you there? Yes. Hi, Jay. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. I'm here in Vancouver, and it's sunshiny, and it's just almost like heaven on earth, I think. And you know Vancouver, I'm sure, when it's when it's beautiful and it's not raining, it's absolutely gorgeous. So I'm doing well. But I'm glad you could get with us here. Um, I just should introduce uh, uh, your company is Linear Gold. It's traded uh, on the Toronto Venture, uh, I don't know if it's a venture, the Toronto Exchange anyway, under the symbol LRR, I believe. Pink Sheets, I see it's trading under LGCFF. There's, I have you with 44.2 million shares outstanding, more or less, in recent price around a dollar fifty, dollar sixty. Does that sound right? That is right. That's correct. Okay, good. Well, uh, you've been very successful in the past, and uh, I know that uh, Linear Gold is uh, is a company, an up and coming company with some good properties, and uh, we want to get into that a little bit. But you are soon going to be uh, the president and CEO of Brigus Gold Corp, which will be the name, the new name, uh, as I understand it, of the combined. Companies Apollo Gold is a company we've talked to here, uh, Dave Russell, on this show in the past. Uh, do you know, does Brigus have a trading symbol yet? Has there been a trading symbol assigned to it yet? Uh, at this point, we've applied to the uh, American Stock Exchange and the Toronto Stock Exchange for the trading symbol for Brigus, Brigus Gold, but at this point we have not yet secured one, but we hope to make that announcement within the next uh, 14 uh, days. Okay. Well, a couple of weeks back, I spoke with Dave Russell, uh, the president of Apollo Gold, and um, they are a sponsor of this show. Dave updated us, uh, updated us on the performance of the Apollo uh, Black Fox mining operation, as well as uh, the plans to begin to mine underground very shortly there. Uh, so Apollo is fairly well known to our listening audience, but we don't know too much about linear gold, so I'd like to just ask you a little bit about uh, maybe before we get into a discussion of the gold mining properties and prospects, uh, Linear will bring to the equation. Can you just tell our listeners what the share structure will look like in a post-merged company? Sure. Uh, upon closure of the merger, the uh, the company will will have 129 million shares outstanding, and uh, the company will be 53% owned by Apollo shareholders and uh, for approximately 47 percent by linear gold shareholders. So essentially, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a merger of, of you know, pretty well equals. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, when, so um, can you tell our listeners, uh, with, now with respect to linear, can you tell our listeners a little bit about your company? You, you do have a flagship property, I believe, and if I'm correct, that's in uh, somewhere close to Uranium City in Saskatchewan. Is that correct? That's right. Uh, we have a, a property, our flagship property. It's called the Goldfields pro property. It's located in northern Saskatchewan. Um, the property is host to, uh, to two gold deposits that are two kilometers from each other, about a mile and a half from each other. And um, there's one million ounces of gold in reserve cate category, so economic mineable ounces. Um, the deposits are uh, the box deposit and the Athona deposit. Um, they will come into production during 2013 um, at a mining rate of 
between 70 and 80,000 ounces of gold per year. Okay, do you have um, a cost estimate, a cash cost estimate of production? Life of mine, the cash cost will be um, in the range of $425 per ounce. For the mm-hmm. first eight years, it'll be below $400, and for the next six years, it will be uh, uh, just over uh, $425. So essentially, um, um, you know, the first eight years, it's, it's sub $400. The box deposit will produce for the first eight years, and then the, uh, the Athona deposit uh, from years 8 to, to 14. Okay. Do you have, um, you have a sense then of what the capital costs are going to be? The, the capital costs are going to be in the range of $100 million, U.S. Uh, $100 million. Um, that money will be spent, weighted more in, uh, to 2012. It will be spent in 2011 and 2012, but more toward the tail end. First production is expected from the uh, Goldfields project in 2013. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm sure you must have started some discussions with your bankers or possible financiers for, uh, for funding this. Yeah, we have actually. There's, uh, we have a number of, of finance, financing options open to us. There's the standard, uh, you know, debt facilities that are available through, uh, you know, specialist banks in the industry. And there's also, of course, the equity market. So we're gonna we're gonna consider our financing alternatives as as we move forward through 2011 and 12, and uh, we'll we'll find the optimal mix to uh, to uh, to finance the project. Uh, one thing to point out point out the merger of Linear with Apollo, essentially, you know, Linear shareholders and Apollo shareholders will benefit from cash flow from the Black Fox mine mm-hmm. in, in Ontario. So we will be able to fund a good portion of that $100 million capital cost from cash flow generated uh, from the uh, the Black Fox mine in Ontario. Well, that's 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 a big help because, um, you know, one of the things we, we hate to see is dilution. Us, uh, those of us who get invested in, in smaller companies as a Explore and develop and, and build uh, these heavy, you know, heavy capital expenditures. So that's that's good news. Do you uh, do you expect your bankers are going to require you to do some hedging, some gold loan future sales, forward sales? Well, at the present time, uh, Apollo has a small hedge book. Mm-hmm. Um, the hedge book is uh, currently around 170,000 ounces of gold uh, hedged right now. At the end of the year. Um, the, the number will be down to about 143,000 ounces. Mm-hmm. So relative to the combined reserve base, the, the two companies have gold reserves of over, uh, you know, combined when the merger is completed, we'll have over 2 million ounces of gold in reserve category. Um, so the uh, the actual hedge book represents around 7% of our gold reserves. So it's really, uh, it's, it's small relative to our gold reserves. In terms of moving forward, uh, we are going to do our best to avoid uh, additional hedging. It was a requirement that Apollo put the hedges on when they brought the Black Fox mine into production uh, during those particular market conditions. But moving forward, we are going to do our absolute best to avoid any further hedging. In fact, uh, we're looking forward to, to uh, you know, um, eliminating the current hedge, hedge book through production. Sure. Wade, could you give us uh, give our listeners a sense of what the combined company is going to look like in terms of, well, you gave us the share structure, but in terms of, Total um, total gold production and, and if possible, sort of an overall uh, estimate of the cost of producing that gold. In 2010, so this current year, we're going to produce between 90 and 100,000 ounces of gold. It'll be in the mid 90s uh, in terms of the, the the ounces to be produced. The guidance that we've given the market um, 
for the entire year is a cash cost of between $500 and $550 per ounce of gold produced. So there's quite a healthy margin uh, from our gold production. That is, uh, that is the complete cash cost. Moving into 2011, um, the, the cash, uh, sorry, the, uh, the gold production will step up to 110,000 ounces, and the cash cost will continue in that range closer to 500 versus 550. So we do expect a slight decrease in the cash cost as we move into 2011. Okay. Um, what do you think the biggest risk for investors would be at this point in time, people that step into your and buy your shares at these levels or buy Apollo shares at these levels? There's, uh, you know, there are a number of risks in the industry. Um, operational risks are always, mm-hmm. um, you know, front and center in terms of execution, um, building a mine, getting it in production, getting it operating as per, you know, the feasibility studies that have been done. So there's always risk associated uh, with that process. Um, the merged company will, as I indicated, produce, you know, uh, between 90 and 100,000 ounces this year, stepping up next year, and then into 2013, uh, we'll be, we'll be uh, approaching 200,000 ounces of gold per year. Um, in terms of uh, the risks for the current mine that's in production, many of those risks have been, have been mitigated simply because the mine is up and running, um, and uh, many of the, of the uh, hiccups have been uh, ironed out. So it's, uh, it's actually uh, working very well. And uh, we see a bright future for the company post-merger. We've run out of time to ask you more about what your potential is for exploration. I know you've got some projects in uh, other places around the world. Uh, We'll have to have you back and talk about those sometime in the near future. Well, folks, don't go away. We're going to have Ingrid Hibbard uh, is going to be with us of Palangio Exploration. That's a company I think has a very exciting um, uh, project, uh, an exploration project in Ghana, albeit uh, much more um, speculative, let's say, than... Uh, than the linear gold targets are at this point in time, many of them anyway. But uh, I think it's uh, with a company that's selling at a a very low price, it might be something speculative investors want to look at. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Ingrid Hibbard. It's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Merex Gold, with 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits, Merex and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $11 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold Project in Mali. Merex has indicated gold resources based on 4% of the mineralized Surabaya megastructure. An aggressive 20,000 meters of drilling will begin to determine the true size of the Surabaya Gold Deposit. For more information about Merex Gold, visit us on the web at www.merexgold.com. That's M-E-R-R-E-X gold.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the 
to turning hard times into good times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. I have with me Ingrid Hibbert. She's the president and CEO of Palangio Exploration. This uh, company's shares trade on the Toronto Exchange on uh, about 117 million shares outstanding. Recently trading at about 17 cents gives it a market capitalization of about $20 million. Welcome, Ingrid, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Delighted to be back. Good to have you. Um, We've looked at your share price decline very significantly, and I'm wondering, uh, after having recommended Palangio to my own subscribers to Jay Taylor's Golden Energy Energy Tech Stocks, I'm wondering, did I miss something here? We thought, I thought, that we had, that your geologist had a good sense of, uh, you know, where you're likely to uh, discover gold, because we have the uh, the same mineral gold bearing trends extending from the nearby um, Ashanti mine onto your property for several kilometers. I know you've done a lot of geological work, and and it seemed like pretty high probability that over time um, you guys were going to be successful in proving up a a gold deposit. Never any guarantees, and I always underline that to my subscribers and to my listeners, but. You know, from my perspective, after having talked to your geologist, it seemed like a pretty good bet that uh, as a penny stock, uh, you know, that the upside potential was very, very significant. However, as I just said, we've seen your share price fall from a high of around 75 or 76 cents to 17 cents. So what's uh, what's going on here? Ingrid, could you shed some light on, on the situation? Well, first, uh, I guess the way I want to approach this is to ask you and your listeners a bit of a rhetorical question. Okay. So if I I was to tell you about a company with a proven management team that believes that mines are made, not found, which keys into what you were saying about over time. Yeah, but I said I thought you would find one and maybe... Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Believe mines are made, not found. Yeah. Whose last project um, is now, you know, plus 10 million ounces of gold, mm-hmm. where many of um, investors who um, got in as a result of your newsletter are up, you know, two, three, four, five thousand percent. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're now on to our next project. And this next project is early stage. It's one of the most prolific gold. It's located in one of the most prolific gold belts in the world. It's a large property, 290 square kilometers. And this company this has a property which is contiguous to uh, a 60 million ounce deposit, mm. the largest vein-hosted deposit in the world that's been mined for over 100 years. Mm. In the last couple of years, early stage work has been done, including an airborne, to trace those structures 
uh, over eight kilometers of our property. We've just completed the first phase of drilling on the main structures as identified by the VTEM. Mm -hmm. As a result of that, we have ground truth. We found on the ground and identified two of the primary gold-bearing structures from the mine next door. Mm -hmm. We established the geology looks like the mine next door. Mm -hmm. It proved that the structures are Mm gold-bearing, and it intersected a very broad 78-meter zone of only anomalous gold, but the belief is, the interpretation is, that that's the halo of higher-grade gold mineralization. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So So it added value. Mm-hmm. We're well-funded for the next phase, which is going to begin in late summer or mm-hmm. early fall. And, um, uh, you know, work continues elsewhere as more targets are developed. There are multiple structural targets. From this, the drilling alone, there are four target areas to go back. There's multiple other structures. Wouldn't you be excited of a company at $0.17 cents with those attributes? It certainly seems like it, Ingrid, because it seems to me that what you you and your geological team have accomplished since we first put you in my newsletter, uh, recommended your company in my newsletter, it seems to me what you've accomplished basically is a confirmation of the theory uh, rather than, a, than that theory being refuted by this work. And yet still, the share price has fallen from, as I said, from around $0.75 cents to $0.17. Cents. Why do you think that is? Um, speculators versus investors. Okay. So people that are looking for the quick hit, perhaps? And, and you know, Jay, I, I know that when I talk to you, you understand, because I know when you were standing with me at Detour, yes. you know how many years it took yes. to get the size of the win that it was. Yes. So, really, uh, we are a management team that believes that mines are made not found. And this was an early, early stage project. So we had to build it from the floorboards up. It wasn't a case of going in and having a zone and drilling it off. Mm -hmm. This is a, when we find something, and as you say, there's no guarantees, but I believe we will, um, when we find something, it will be a brand new discovery and nothing excites the market like a brand new discovery. Yeah, for those listeners who might not be aware, Detour, uh, the Detour Lake project, as Ingrid says, is, uh, is over 10 million ounces now, I believe. And when I first uh, when I first traveled up to that project, Ingrid, with you and a number of other investors and analysts, I think we were looking at that time of something around a million ounces or less, somewhere around that range. And it was, you know, it was it was very speculative at that stage. Um, so. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you, you obviously, it, and it took a lot of time. It took a lot of years, and I can remember, you know, seeing your stock. I think we picked it up at $0.08 cents or something like that. It was a very low price stock, and actually at one time, I think we'd actually gone over 10 times our money on that stock, so, um, or, or much higher than that, actually. I can't remember exactly. It was, you know, 40 or 50 times. It was just ridiculous. Well, yes, and, $5. And, 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 you know, it's when nobody else believes. This is true of the market. It's a funny thing with stocks. You know, people, the higher the price goes, the more people want it. You know, it's, it's counter, it's, it's really, um, it's just counter to the way we behave in most cases or people behave when they're acting rationally. They want to look at something that's inexpensive. So now we're looking at a stock that is 17 cents, whereas it was 76 cents before. And it seems to me 
it seems to me, based on what you're telling me, that, uh, in fact, you've got a better story, a stronger story now than you had when you were tra- trading at 76 cents. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So I've got a few talking points that I kind of wanted to hit the highlights, and then if we have some time after that, maybe uh, paint a bit of a uh, visual picture for people about how the exploration is, is conducted and what's okay. going on. But okay. there's a few things that I just wanted to make sure we could hit the highlights about. Sure. Um, the, you know, there was a press release out recently, uh, so we have completed that first phase of the drill program. So there was 32 holes completed, totaling slightly over 9,000 meters on eight targets. Six of those are on what we're kind of calling that main mine trend. There are other types of targets on the property, so we're, you know, you know, exploration is continuing in all phases at all times on the property. So just because we're not drilling doesn't mean we're not doing anything. Mm-hmm. Um, the second program is planned to commence in late August or early September. The program highlights, let's hit the highlights, uh, you know, not in a rhetorical fashion, but uh, in reality for this particular project. This was the first focused drill program on that main Obwasi mine print. Mm-hmm. It was really designed to give us the geological information we need to go forward and plan subsequent drill programs. All right, so that's, I mean, that's what uh, novice investors need to understand, that you don't expect to necessarily to, to hit your bonanza grades or something that you're really, really ultimately looking for that will make a mine in the early stages. Essentially, you're drilling for structure, drilling to understand more about the property, and with each... With each drill program, with each drill hole, in essence, you've got more information that helps you pinpoint and move closer towards that gold mineralization or whatever it is you're looking for, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, would I have liked to have hit a home run in that? Absolutely. You betcha. But, you know, that doesn't happen very often. Not That's, very often. Uh, no. you, know, you have to be tremendously lucky. And yet I think that's it, what the speculators were looking for. Absolutely. Uh, That's why your stock went to 76 cents and probably got ahead of itself. I mean, I think many people had not appreciated how much work it took to get detour accomplished. Mm -hmm. So coming off of that, it's, you know, they raised a bunch of money, they're going to go off and they're going to do it again in Africa and yippee. (laughs) Yeah, and detour actually actually had some mining there before too. And I I guess you you could say the same thing is true where you're at now because the mining is right next door and you've got the continuous, you know, contiguous to your property. But uh, but as you said earlier in our discussion here, that um, you were really looking at a, an early stage project. And I know in talking to other people who have projects in Ghana, you know, other professionals over there, they're not believers yet necessarily. But I don't think they've taken a look at your story in detail either. And it, well, it is very early stage, you know. So there, we have to prove it. It's mm-hmm. not a case of where you're following up on known existing mineralization. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's so important that we located. You know, we you took the VTEM eight kilometers of the structure. That's great. Now you have to locate it on the ground, pinpoint it exactly, and ground truth it. So by locating both the Obwasi and Cote d'Or fissures, two of the primary gold bearing structures on the Obwasi mine, that's tremendously significant. Mm-hmm. You know, and intersecting broad zones of anomalous gold mineralization, 78 meters of 0.26. Okay, you know, clearly that's not an ore grade interval, but it's 78 meters of anomalous gold on those structures that exist in the mine next door. 
those are things that really move the project forward and make it more valuable than it was before. We've got four targets that we're going to go back to on that main structure, plus additional targets. So one of the other things we do, because this is a tough project, there's, there's cover here. It's covered with this weathered rock that's difficult to see through. So we look around the world to, to find world experts in areas that we need. So we're using SRK to help us with this structural mm-hmm. uh, analysis, on, uh, which, you know, I'm not a geologist myself, so it's highly technical, but it's about, you know, the structures and the folds and mm-hmm. rel- their time relative. Certain mm-hmm. folds that occurred at certain times are more likely to, you know, on certain structures. So they've helped us with that interpretation. There are multiple, multiple targets that they have identified that we have yet to follow up. So there's lots of work to do, but this, what we've accomplished so far, you know, I've had people calling me up and, and really what they want to know is, Ingrid, are you still excited? <laughs> That's really the bottom line. Yeah, yeah. And it, this project has, in my view, is much more valuable now than it was before we did the drill program, despite the fact that the stock went from 78 cents to 17 well, I think it's it's a time for people to be more excited now than ever, uh, given what you're saying, because it's such a cheap price. I mean, this is a, a time when people might want to, with a longer-term view of things, who can understand the, the nature of this business, uh, to pick up some shares. Uh, I have to ask you, you said you're well-funded going into or for the current drill program. How much money do you have in the till, and when do you expect you'll need to raise some more? We've got six million, and we still have um, forty-five thousand shares of Detour, so we're good for, uh, uh, you know, all of the next phase, and uh, you know, another twelve months, and probably beyond. It depends. You know, everything always depends. If we get a zone, then we start drilling faster. Sure. So uh, the second phase is to commence in late summer, early fall. We're going to drill further at those uh, four targets from the first phase that need more drilling. We have the number of new targets. Uh, it's, in short, it's early days yet, but we're con- going to continue. One of the other things I want to point out is our advantage in Ghana. Ghana mm-hmm. is a great place to work. Uh, we, because there has been mining there, Obwasi has been mined continuously for well over 100 years, uh, you have mining expertise in the country. So we employ predominantly Ghanaians, including our exploration manager, Mm-hmm. Sam Tercorno, who's worked previously with St. Jude and Pursuit. And because we've been there now for several years, because we're using so many locals, we are finding that many, many opportunities are being brought to us to look mm-hmm. at. So mm-hmm. that's the other thing you have to keep in mind. You never know. Everything about exploration is um, you, if you're not in the stock, you never know what could happen. You could miss it. There could be an opportunity could come through the door. It could be a discovery hole. You don't know what. You it just is. never know, do you? You never know when that next one might hit that. Uh, the sort of grades that will start to get people to take you seriously, take the company and the project seriously, and then you've missed the boat. And that's why I'm saying that I think uh, listeners and and to my subscribers as well, I'll, I'm going to highlight this that at these current share prices, you know, you might 
if you don't have some, you might want to nibble away and buy some. Ingrid, what do you think your biggest risk is, uh, the biggest risk for shareholders now that come in at this low price? I mean, there's always exploration risk. Would you say that's where it is? It, um, well, sure. That's the, well, you know, there's, there's the big risks for all exploration companies is exploration risk mm-hmm. and, um, uh, you know, economic risk. Because if the... If you have another economic meltdown, everybody gets taken down with it. You have margin selling, and it takes the whole thing down for a while. But as you see, as we've seen before, it bounces back. I, I'm a big believer in uh, bet the jockey. Mm-hmm. You know, we survived through good times and bad before. So having come through all of that now several times, I'm pretty confident to say I'm pretty sure we can – hang on no, almost no matter what life throws at us. Mm-hmm. And remember, we have um, projects in Canada as well. So one of the things we try to do is spread around our geographical risk. Now, mm-hmm. I don't find Ghana very risky, and I don't find Canada very risky, but I'm a little more comfortable having properties in both of those places. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk just for a minute about our project in West Timmins because yeah, people please. have forgotten about it a little bit, mm-hmm. and it could very well be a wild card for us. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if your listeners have been following uh, Lakeshore's progress in West Timmins. We haven't but, specifically, but yeah, many of them are uh, there, I'm sure. Thunder Creek was a recent discovery that Lakeshore made. It, it hit some of the best grades ever to come out of the Timmins camp. They are currently drifting across to that from their workings north of it to do some underground exploration. We are within a few hundred meters of that discovery. In this case, it's a small property. So, and we, we think that it's possible the, the deposit will continue at depth onto our property. Mm-hmm. So we're watching with great interest mm-hmm. to see what comes as they drift across and do underground exploration. Mm. We expect that drifting and some results to be starting to come out in the fall. Wow. So I would say to listeners and to my subscribers as well, uh, in essence, as you've got these other properties – um, you know, this one probably being the most promising, would you say? You have a number of properties in Ontario and I think one in Quebec or so. Would you say this is the most promising of those at this stage, given what's going on, I guess? I think so. Given what's going on, time's go- time will tell. What, you know, one of the neat things about this is we get to watch and wait and have someone else spend money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, that's neat, all right. And, I mean, again, with the $20 million market cap, I think there are probably companies that would have your portfolio of exploration targets in Ontario that would sell at $20 million. So, you you know, you might look at that. I look at that, actually, as, a, um, you know, as, as providing some, some more value that uh, just makes your stock uh, possibly very, very undervalued, in my view. Uh, I, I'd like to ask you, I know that you have an excellent website, and, and on that website you have some interesting, um, very informative uh, things there and, uh, that can help people understand a little better about the Obasi uh, property. Um, could you tell our listeners what your website is? It's www.palangio.com. Yeah, you have you have you have an automated and animated um, schematic there that sort of helps people understand, and it's very informative. And I would suggest to listeners that they go and, and take and check that out because I think it's it's very helpful in understanding what your you know your exploration program, what you're looking to do, and and so forth. Absolutely. Although I, I'm going to add one caveat, because mm-hmm. um, when you look at that, 
it, it maybe makes it look a little simple. You know, you see these multiple structures uh, next door marching towards our property. What it doesn't put into perspective well is size. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, uh, when you look at things on a map, it looks so easy. Oh, it's obvious. You just drove right here. Yeah. Poof, you know, Bob's your uncle. So right. I, as a visual, what uh, one, one geologist did this for me once, and I found it very, very helpful. You know, he talks about drilling in terms of if you were to visualize a big, huge watermelon and you're looking for a watermelon seed and it's, you're really trying to build a 3D jigsaw puzzle to help mm-hmm. you develop the picture so you can find the watermelon seed, and you're doing that by poking the watermelon with a tiny, tiny needle and pulling up little wee bits of watermelon. And as you bring up that bit, those bits of watermelon, you slowly start to d- develop a picture of what's going on down there mm-hmm. to help you find that watermelon seed. Mm-hmm. And that's really what we're doing here. Yeah. And, you know, we know that uh, there are seeds in the watermelon next door. <laughs> and we're, yeah. You know, we believe there's seeds in this watermelon, and it's it's going to take us a bit of time to develop that 3D jigsaw puzzle. But it, we it, think that we're certainly on the right track. It would certainly seem odd, wouldn't it, that the uh, watermelon seeds would stop right at your border, right at the border, when the tr- when the structures continue on for several kilometers onto your border. Well, that's I think Absolutely. about all. I think that's about all the time we have now, Ingrid, for uh, for, for this segment. But thank you very much for um, sharing that information on Palangio. I think probably helping some people understand a little more accurately what's what's going on there. And um, but folks, don't go away. We're going to have back with us in the next segment Roger Conrad, who specializes in Canadian income trusts as well as utility companies in America. Now, if we're Ian Gordon and various other people on this show are right, and we're heading into the bull market for gold of a lifetime. You certainly want to own gold shares, but it's also possible that you're going to need to have some income-producing investments as well that can produce income in dollars uh, as well. So Roger Conrad will have some ideas. He'll be right back after the commercial break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Barkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Gold Fields in British Columbia. Barkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer-long by 20-kilometer-wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Barkerville's own proposed open-pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Barkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Barkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down, try not to try to 
listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. Well, we're living in a time when policymakers are seemingly punishing savers and rewarding people who live beyond their means, with people that spend irresponsibly well beyond what they're able to repay in their debts. How can investors who have managed to do the right thing and save some money and live within their means, how can they enjoy in this environment when Treasury yields are 1% or less, how can they manage to realize a good return on their investment, a good return on their savings so that they can so that they can make ends meet? We think especially of retired people. We're on the edge of a baby, baby boomer uh, generation reaching retirement now. And how are those folks going to be able to to realize the kind of income from their savings to pay the rent and put food on the table and pay their medical expenses and their insurance and the like. So for some thoughts on that, uh, how we can maybe prepare for the future, I have Roger Conrad with me. He's an expert on utility stocks and income-producing stocks of various kinds. Uh, Roger Conrad is editor of the Canadian Edge, that's an Internet-based service uh, directed at U.S. investors that tracks more than 130 high-yielding Canadian uh, equities. He's also editor of Utility Forecaster. It's a newsletter that I subscribe to personally, and it's the leading U.S. advisory on essential service stocks, bonds, preferred stocks, cited for editorial excellence six times by the newsletter's Electronic Publishers Association. And Roger is an associate editor of Personal Finance. He's uh, chief strategist of Portfolio 2020, co-editor of MLP Profits, and he is the author of Power Hungry, the Strategic Investing in Telecommunications, Utilities, and Other Essential Services. And um, I, you can, to subscribe to his letter, you can go. I just want to get this out of the way to make sure before we uh, say hi to Roger that you know where you can go to follow up after this discussion with Roger today. I have two websites, uh, ufweekly.com, that's ufweekly.com, and mapleleafmemo.com. Both of those focus, um, well, the last one focuses on Canada. Roger, welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Thank you. Nice to be here. Great to have you. Um, You know, I'm familiar with one of your newsletters. As I mentioned, I uh, subscribe to the Utility Forecaster, but you also have another one that I'd like to know more about, just haven't laid my hands on it yet, and that has to deal with Canadian Income Trust. And I say I'd like to because we've had some very good experiences, my wife and I, uh, in investing in Canadian Income Trust in the past. What is the name of that letter? It's called the Canadian Edge, and uh, what we try to do is focus on – a number of companies that we like in Canada that are, that are building wealth. Um, you know, there are a number of reasons to, to, uh, to, to like Canada, um, which we can get into more, you know, the, the currency, the fact that it's growing at a rapid pace, um, and also something that may come as a surprise to some people, uh, the fact that the income trusts are coming to an end and are now in the process of converting to uh, corporations in, in a uh, transition that's actually proved to be extremely bullish. 
Well, you would think it's the other way around, Roger, because I think I, I always had in mind that the Canadian Income Trust would pay high dividends uh, because they were getting a tax break. They have been. Uh, that, that definitely helped out in the past. And, you know, if you look back when, uh, before the, uh, the, the government there pulled down the, the curtain on them um, and uh, decided that they'd begin taxing them in 2011, uh, there was a lot, a lot of them that were issued just primarily, uh, and that was really the only appeal. Uh, that, but, um, you know, paying out such a high amount of, of dividends um, every month, not just every quarter, but every month, um, has imposed an extraordinary amount of discipline on these companies. And so what you have really are some incredibly efficient uh, outfits that are um, um, able to uh, uh, generate lots of cash flow and pay that out to shareholders and at the same time grow uh, their underlying businesses. Okay, we we don't have much time in the first segment here, but I do want to maybe start the discussion on macroeconomics because uh, while you are fo- focused really on on specific companies that can pay pay good di- dividends and good yields for people, uh, you know, you never divorced from or the future is never divorced from what happens in the economy. So I'd like to ask you at this point in time. Uh, are you bullish on the economy? Do you believe that uh, the equity market is, uh, has got a bright future in the near term, or do you see? Are you bearish or bullish? I guess is really what I'm asking on the equity markets in general. I think things are uh, are moving in the right direction, but very very slowly. And in, in many fits and starts, I think uh, uh, you don't have the same kinds. Of, lightning really doesn't strike twice in the same place. If you look back at market history, and a lot of people here are looking for another uh, collapse in the credit market. Uh, when what's happened over the past year is companies have actually become less uh, vulnerable to such a uh, to such a calamity by continually refinancing. So, um, you know, the things didn't go completely uh, out you know out of control in 2008. People who who held on through the the bad times there, particularly in good income investments, um, tend to do pretty well. I think the key for investors here is to focus on the underlying businesses, and obviously that's my approach. But I think. You know, if you own a good business um, and, uh, and and it continues to to do well as a business, it's going to come out of whatever happens here. But I I do think that things are uh, are more or less moving in the right direction. There are regarding the economy, there are a number of things to worry about here. Uh, you know, I call them the four horsemen: the, the Gulf oil spill, uh, you know, the credit crisis in Europe, and also uh, high, more regulation here and more ta- and higher taxes. Uh, in the United States, and I think those are all certainly things to worry about, but they affect different investments um, in different ways, and I think they're, you know, as investors, what we really have to focus on is, you know, what are our objectives here? If we're, if we're out here for income, um, you know, are, is what we own, uh, are, are our investments going to hold up um, and continue to pay those dividends? And if that's the case, then, you know, we can't 100% project what's going to happen here with, with the economy or uh, or, or, or what sort of volatility we might run into. But what we do know is that if they are continuing to pay uh, those dividends and hold together as businesses to, to do that, um, those stock prices are going to come back just like they did in 2009. And I think, um, again, that's really where investors need to, to, to focus their, uh, their attention. Okay, well, that makes a lot of sense. And I know covering utilities, uh, I certainly believe that a lot of the utility companies are less vulnerable to business downturns than say, general manufacturing companies are. So we want to, um, when we come back from the, uh, from the commercial break, we want to find out from you, uh, we want to talk about the different kinds of utilities and different kinds of income-producing companies that you cover in your newsletter and to try to determine relative risks because I'm quite sure you would agree 
uh, with the general consensus or the general view of, in, of professional investors that you don't get high yields without high, uh, higher levels of risk, that there's a relationship between risk and return in terms of uh, uh, there's always a trade-off there. I'm sure you would agree with that, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I do think there are, there are uh, um, situations where the market has it wrong uh, regarding risk, at least in the near term. Um, and, you know, we can talk about some of those. I think there are a number of those types of situations in Canada. I think sometimes, you know, when you're in a very volatile environment like this one where, you know, uh, the market really hits on something like they did on uh, MLTs, uh, Master Limited Partnerships, in, in 2008, uh, really, companies that were increasing dividends were getting uh, getting hammered on a daily basis. Um, you know, so the market does get it wrong sometimes. But yes, that's if you look at things within a group, uh, there's there's definitely a, uh, you know a correlation. And I I tell investors routinely avoid the highest yield um, in in a particular sector because it's it's gener- there's generally a pretty good reason why um, okay, well, it's, it's it's in that category. Okay, well, let's, uh, we're going to go to commercial break now, and I really look forward to hearing about those, some of those that the markets may have wrong, because if we can divine those that the markets have wrong and then buy into it, that's where we can make more money and do better. So we'll be right back with Roger Conrad as soon as uh, the commercial break is over. It's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. PMI Gold has just raised $7.5 million to expand drilling at four former gold mines we own in Ghana. Ghana is Africa's second largest gold producer, and with neighbors like Newmont, Anglo Gold, and Goldfields, and a land position equal to the entire length of the Carlin Gold Belt, we're going for the gold. PMI Gold is listed in Canada and Frankfurt, and plans to list on the Australian Stock Exchange to finance development of our first mine at our Kubi Gold Project. Our plans are big and growing. Come grow with us. I am Jay Taylor, your host for Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Gold has risen from $250 to well over $1,200 since 2002. That has greatly improved gold mining profit margins and profits for gold investors. But mining stocks are very risky, so you do need to know which stocks have the best chance of success. I believe Magellan Minerals, traded Toronto under the symbol MNM, is one such company. That's why it is a top pick of my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Go to MagellanMinerals.com website to learn more. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard, it's just a love you're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, 
Taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back Roger Conrad, and before we went to the break, Roger was talking about uh, some opportunities uh, where the markets might not have it right. You know, there is the assumption in academia that we have uh, efficient markets, and I honestly believe, as one who covers the mining sector and smaller companies in particular, we have anything but an efficient market many times, and there are opportunities to take advantage of inefficient markets, and so we want to ask Roger about that in a few minutes. But before we get to that topic, I want to ask him for some definitions. I think very interesting concepts of and very interesting different kinds of utility companies, all with the unique characteristics, and investors need to understand that it's not just about yield, it's about understanding the underlying businesses. And Roger, in his excellent uh, newsletter on utilities, uh, provides a great deal of understanding about, about the nuances of these different uh, different sectors. So, Roger, I'd like to start by asking you to give our listeners some view or some understanding of uh, of the different kinds of utilities. Um, I'll, and I'll just uh, diversify to energy utilities, for example. Could you tell our listeners why or what that means? Well, this is really the original kind of core group that I used to cover uh, initially when I started Utility Forecaster, which is 1989. Um, and these are basically the utilities that we think of that uh, power companies that. Um, Produce uh, or generate electricity as well as uh, distribute it and, and transmit it. Um, they're primarily regulated companies, um, and uh, in fact, um, we've seen over the past um, um, ten years or so a lot of the deregulation back in the 1990s uh, be rolled back. So um, they're, they they tend to have some unregulated operations, but they tend to rely mostly on uh, very very steady um, franchise businesses. So they're you know, they're, they they too range in terms of what's suitable for for various investors, and we rate them on um, everything from uh, what they you know the percentage their payout ratio, what the percentage of earnings they pay out, uh, financial strength, how they get along with their regulators. That's of course a very important thing with any business that uh, draws as much regulation and few uh, have as are as, high, as highly regulated as as utilities, um, and uh, and a range of other criteria as well. So. Um, you know, this is a you know again some some of them you would consider you know your bread and butter companies, but they tend to be fairly large, um, good dividend payers, and uh, relying on very steady businesses. Would you tend to see the diversified utility uh, companies, the energy utility companies, companies that have a lot of regulation and less uh, as having less market risk then, and perhaps a more predictable income stream for investors? Yeah, you know that's that's the case. Uh, um, you know, one thing a lot of these companies did back in or have done in the last ten years, I call this man these management teams really the class of two thousand two, and that is they uh, went out of their way to really reduce operating risk, cut debt, and so forth, and repair relations with the regulators, more or less get back to their uh, their core businesses. And a lot of these companies really took some pretty hard hits back in two thousand one, two thousand two, uh, trying to pattern themselves on what Enron was doing and. Uh, they really felt the, uh, the the brunt of those consequences. At one point, uh, there were roughly two dozen companies in this group that were uh, either uh, in bankruptcy or very near to it. So um, they've had to work their way out of that, and as a result, they came uh, into this last um, uh, downturn in very, very good shape, and we really didn't see any crack-ups. So, um, you know, as far as this group goes, it did far, far better 
uh, as businesses in, in this you know, horrific uh, downturn we had in 2008, 2009, uh, than it did uh, in 2001, 2002, which was a fairly mild recession for uh, um, the rest of the con- economy. I mean, getting, it gets into that looking at underlying businesses and, um, and, and understanding what's going on. And, you know, those who did that and, and stuck with these companies, I mean, they, they, did very, um, they did very well, particularly in terms of dividends, um, you know, during, while everything else was pretty much cracking up. Would you, uh, what sort of yields uh, would you expect from this sector, more or less? Well, you know, five, five, six percent is probably a pretty good range uh, there. I mean, if you get too much above that, you're you're looking at some dividend risk. Um, some yield a little below that, but then they have uh, higher dividend growth. So, um, you know, I, I look for something what I would call maybe ten a ten percent uh, solution coming out of that, and that's basically um, you know yield plus uh, whatever their annual growth rate um, is um, to be at ten percent or higher. Um, and as as, some, as sort of a rough uh, gauge for wh- where a value is, again, providing there are um, uh, you know there is uh, you know strength in that in that business mm-hmm. that, that most of them have, but there are a few that are problematic. And you know if you look at what really troubles these companies, it is when relations with regulators uh, go go awry. And I'm very sensitive to this. Um, you know I had a long time holding FPL Group. Um, which uh, which is now a next era energy they they changed the name of the company to reflect all the wind power and so forth that they have but this was an extraordinarily stable franchise uh, what happened was the governor of the state governor christ um, who's running for senate um, to make a few points with the voters uh, basically fired the entire public service commission mm. replaced them with which was considered to be one of the most um, experienced uh, and knowledgeable in the country and replace them with uh, people that had no experience at all. And of course, his rationale was, well, you know, everybody they were too cozy with the with you know the the, the companies they were regulating. But you know, the the bad news is that um, you know, of course, now the company has to deal with people who are obviously going to be very politically motivated because mm-hmm. their appointments hang, you know, are were basically made because uh, the governor wanted to see lower uh, lower rates and. Um, so this is the kind of thing that happens. I mean, you, you don't really do very well with utilities that are in an environment where uh, the regulators have, have, you know, you can shake your fist at them, but, um, you know, bottom line is you're better off uh, getting out um, and, and letting somebody else take that risk. But that's really one of the major things to, to look at with this, with this group. I mean, the, the one hand of being regulated means you're, um, you're, you're a little bit safer and a little more secure against economic downturns, but when the you know, when the officials setting your rates uh, turn against you, then you're um, there's you don't have a lot of recourse. Yeah. Well, what uh, that's very interesting, and this is the kind of thing I guess that you cover very very thoroughly in your newsletter. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is a, a pro- I, I probably spend as much time you know looking at this type of thing as uh, as the actual numbers that are that are generated. What company were you talking about? What jurisdiction? What state? Well, that was FPL Group in Florida. It's now NextEra Energy, um, having changed its name. But um, you know, the other utilities in the state too are, have a, also face challenges. Progress Energy is one, and uh, Tico Energy is another. Um, you know, there there is some hope that Florida, you know, because of its long history of cooperative relations, which have you know it, it, uh, encouraged long-term planning. Because you know, when a utility can plan for the future, it can make its investments and. Um, it can keep rates down over time and also improve earnings. Uh, you know, if a utility can't make that kind of long-term planning, then 
uh, its decisions have to be much more short-term by nature, and rates go up over time. We've seen this. That's the reason why states like Georgia have much lower rates than states like New York, because you just haven't had uh, the degree of, of you know micromanaging going on at the state uh, state commission. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Uh, would you have a favorite or two in this uh, category, diversified energy utilities, or? Well, I think you know Duke Energy would be a pretty good poster child, particularly if someone was worried about uh, you know some of these companies that uh, if, if we do get carbon regulation, that's a, mm-hmm. a challenge. It's not necessarily a negative for these companies because many of them produce from from non uh, non emitting sources. Um, you know, and companies like Duke have been actually getting ready for this. Uh, the CEO of Duke, um, uh, Jim Rogers, has actually uh, been very very active in Congress trying to shape a bill that again, allows utilities to do long-term planning and thereby, you know, making, you know, being able to solve this problem in, a, in an easy way. He's gotten a lot of flack on pretty much all sides for doing it, but I think it's a, that's a very big plus for shareholders to have somebody, um, you know, that's listened to fighting for, for interest. And it's a, been a very, very well-run company over a, a large number of years as well. So uh, that, that one yields pretty close to 6%, I think, um, something people should, should take a look at. And uh, I believe it has a pretty high safety rating in your rating scheme as well. It does, and that's part again. That's because of the numbers, but also because it operates in the Carolinas, uh, Indiana, Ohio states, where um, again regulatory relations have been very positive um, mm-hmm. over the years. And that's you know nothing helps utility more than um, a cooperative relationship with the people setting its rates. Does Duke have um, nuclear power? Duke is also, I think, uh, the third largest uh, nuclear company in the country. Um, you know, they have uh, some very highly uh, high-performing uh, plants in, in the Carolinas. They have a number of, um, of wind power plants, too. They're also very much involved in, in the clean coal uh, uh, technology, which um, basically is uh, um, sort of in its nascent stages. But we're looking at companies like Alsom, the uh, French engineering company, saying that um, they're going to have commercially available technology to strip out carbon uh, from emissions um, in with, by the year 2015. So, um, very very positive if true. Um, uh, but again, uh, you know, Duke is uh, very active in all these uh, all these solutions, and that that will not only be a big plus for avoiding costs down the road, but I think it could be a profit center for them as well. And again, you know, the share price, anything yielding around 6% with that degree of safety is not really pricing in any growth. So that's all upside, whatever they realize from that. Mm-hmm. What, are, what are your thoughts on nuclear energy? Are we going to see a resurgence of nuclear energy, given especially like the problem in the Gulf right now and, um, you know, and a, an increased awareness of, um, you know, global warming and so forth? Well, you certainly seem to have the uh, the the the, the, the um, movement in place. At least uh, uh, people, a lot of people in Washington that really wanted to clear uh, regulatory hurdles, financial hurdles for these plants. I mean, the, I think one of the biggest hurdles to building new, well, there's really two. Um, one is that uh, basically, uh, you know, companies remember what happened back in the 80s and 70s. Um, you know, when they built all these nuclear plants, which are now extremely vital to the, to uh, our national energy source, so more than 22% of our power comes from nuclear right now. But if you look back when these um, plants came online, you heard a lot from the regulators saying these plants weren't needed, utilities overbuilt, they miscalculated, and they, they should eat these costs. So you had bankruptcies, uh, you know, credit rating slashes, uh, dividend cuts all across the board. 
Um, and, uh, you know, this, this is a, a, one of those, you know, scars that's been left on the collective psyche of, of these companies it, just as much as, um, or perhaps even more so than the Enron collapse, so, mm-hmm. um, you know, did 10 years ago. So, you know, they're, they're very, very cautious about committing these amounts of money. Now, you know, it takes 10 years to, from the time you start permitting to the time you get a nuclear plant online, and that wow. requires, you know, billions of dollars. So, um, they're very loath to, you know, put that, commit that kind of money unless their commitment's on the other side. And we have seen that in a number of states, South Carolina and Georgia in particular. Um, but uh, nuclear power has a lot of opponents um, in, in this country, even though the Obama administration very much supporting it, trying to work in, um, you know, a nuclear power incentives as part of a deal to get carbon uh, Regulation, sure. Um, but uh, you know, there that may, that deal may be dead. Uh, at least in this Congress, um, it looks as though uh, you know there's just too much uh, rancor to to get anything like that um, like that uh, like that done at this point. And you know, companies are going to need those financial guarantees really before they're going to jump ahead. And the other the other thing that that holds back nuclear power is the fact that um, you really cannot locate greenfield projects. I mean, you can't go. To an area that doesn't have a nuclear plant and put one up um, without—I uh, mean, you're, that's that's just uh, you know basically impossible to do right now. Um, nuclear power people are, you know, are are still very very fearful, um, even though you know there's <laughs> there have been far fewer accidents involving nukes than fossil fuels of any any sort or, or coal plants or anything of, of that nature. But the only place you're going to build them in that, you know, given that, is uh, are the existing sites. So um, companies that own the nuclear plants that are already in operation um, are pretty much the only ones that are going to be able to build anything new. So um, that those are the two big things holding it back. Now you look at countries like China, which are, you know, really plunging ahead and building lots of new technology. That's uh, lots of new plants. I mean, that's where uh, most of the global uh, focus is going. And maybe at some point we'll see. Um, you know, people in the U.S. say, "Well, they're look what they're you know they're taking their they're eliminating their dependence on uh, on on oil and and coal and so forth." Um, of course, they have just tremendous uh, needs to generate new electricity that we are, are nowhere close to. Uh, our demand's fairly mature here, so sure. that they're 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 much more um, in need of these things. But um, that's basically where they're where these plants are going. They're going to be. Um, uh, you know, they're, they're mostly overseas. Uh, you know, I think we'll be lucky in this country if we replace the uh, the, the plants that may be, um, you know, having to, to, to shut down uh, in, in coming years. We've already had a, a, a several uh, nuclear plants, older ones, um, you know, be shuttered. Um, but, uh, you know, people are still, um, you know, I, I think my, my view is that, uh, you know, people take low utility rates for granted and um, just, you know, dissociate the idea of what generates the power and what the cost is, um, and uh, so you, you know they 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 you know get you know lots of opponents, a lot of legal um, challenges to even existing plants, and you know they may get some of these things shut, and then they're going to wind up paying you know extremely high rates when they're generating all their power from from higher cost sources. So, um, but that again, that's the uh, that's kind of the kind of where our system is, um, you know, with these things, and it's. I think it's just going to be very difficult to build anything um, again new on the nuclear plant um, side. There, the places where they do build the new plants, I think, are going to be in very, very good shape. They're going to generate a lot of low-cost power, but again, um, it's just going to be very difficult to to build those things on a wide scale. 
Okay, so in addition to Duke Energy, then who are a couple? Of, what are a couple of the other uh, power plants that are nuclear? Other companies that have nuclear power? Well, one and two in the U.S. would be um, um, Exelon, which is the Pennsylvania-based company, uh, and uh, the other, the number two would be Entergy, and um, you know both of them have very strong records. One thing that that uh, has really helped the nuclear industry in the United States is the fact that um, you know when we got into deregulation. Uh, there was a, a widespread belief that these plants were dinosaurs and were going to bankrupt their owners. And, uh, you know, what happened was was they um, uh, got rid of them. They, they convinced their regulators to allow them to recover what were the so-called stranded costs. So um, they sold these things to companies like Exelon for pennies on the dollar. So Exelon got these things and, and uh, you know, by virtue of owning a whole bunch of them, apply the lessons at one plant to the other plants, just like Electricité de France does, uh, you know, with the reactors it owns in France. I mean, they're able to be extremely efficient because if they see a problem at one plant, um, they can then, you know, fix it at all the plants that have similar, uh, similar designs. And, and uh, therefore, outage times are much shorter, um, and capacity, uh, the, the converse, of course, is they run at much higher levels of capacity. So the the average nuclear plant has gone from about a 60% operating rate to uh, well in the 90s, um, mid 90s, um, uh, just from from just in the last uh, 10 or 15 years. Outage times have shrunk by two by more than two thirds. So uh, we've seen some real efficiencies, and companies like Exelon and Energy uh, realize those with with very strong rates of uh, rates of return. Um, I know they'd love to build you know new plants if they could. Uh, you know, feel like they could they could make the investment with a uh, reasonable assurance of, of of making the money back. Um, you know, unfortunately, we're not really there yet, uh, but um, you know, we we may be at some point. Well, it seems it, it seems very irrational to me, uh, given the nuclear power's great record. I think probably because the the accidents that have occurred and Chernobyl was pretty serious, I guess, but the one at Three Mile Island years ago was not really anything as it turned out, to be anything very significant. And yet there is a trauma, sort of an emotional disattachment, I mean, a a fear of it, isn't there, that seems to be ruling more than our rational uh, rational behavior. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is an extremely emotional issue, and, and, um, you know, especially for, uh, you know, locating new plants. And and that's I think that's where you'll really see it show up. I mean, you look at the the Yucca Mountain, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, debate and so forth, which... uh, you know the government, which uh, the Obama administration has now officially abandoned. Um, you know that was a, a, a really emotional issue. I think you know, ironically, uh, what we'll probably see is you know more development of technologies that enable companies to recycle fuel on site or or, or deal with the, the waste on site in a much more efficient way, which is actually done um, in in other countries. Uh, you know, and so we, you know, our energy secretary is very supportive of that sort of thing, but. Yeah, I mean it's it's it, it's amazing, isn't it? I think uh, you know you 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 look at uh, you know the administration, which is and and a lot of environmentalists, uh, you know, to be fair, I mean, are, are backing the same yeah. point of view that you know this is the best way to cut carbon emissions. But then you have another crowd that just says, well, you know, we want to cut carbon emissions, but we don't want to use nuclear power. And you know, a lot of people, I think, we have a problem with zeros in this country too. I think people. Um, you know, look at uh, you know, don't really know the difference between one megawatt and and, and a gigawatt. And um, you know, if you look at uh, what nuclear is capable of doing, which you know is you build a nice big nuclear 
plants you can replace a um, you know a major one of those major coal plants which people have been concerned about with carbon but uh, you you know putting a wind farm up of that size um, you're, you're talking about massive amount of land um, even if you you could you could spare it and um, you know at, at a much higher cost so it's just not really po- you know in fact somebody quoted a statistic to me if you take all the solar power that's been built um, you know, and, and uh, for electrical use in, in the U.S. And, and add it all up, it it comes up to about the, the um, amount of energy that's uh, amount of capacity generated by a coal plant running uh, seventy, an average size coal plant running about seventy percent of the time, just mm-hmm. one plant. So, um, you know, we have a problem with it with, with the zeros, um, and when these issues get politicized, uh, you, you you know you can't really count on um, anything. Coming down the pike, that may that makes sense, um, but again, some parts of the country are are, are uh, more capable of, of depoliticizing this than others, and I think those are going to be the places where where uh, things turn out better, as they always have. And I, I conceive of that as my job. I mean, I you know really pointing out to investors, you know, where the better environments are, where the the um, long term planning can take place. And um, you know where the where the political element is, is, you know where the politicians don't routinely jump in there and bash utilities to score uh, political points when they're in the middle of campaigns. And you know it's not an easy uh, it's not an easy thing. And even states, as Governor Chris showed, you know even governors of states that have had very positive relationships and where there's a very strong example of a um, a long-term planning ethos. Uh, you know, when they're when they're desperate for votes, they're going to jump in and make a move. So, um, you know, that's um, again, that's that's the hazards of the of the of the uh, of the field. But uh, you know, I do think there are a number of states where where they have learned those lessons and where you know people are going to make a lot of money with utilities and the customers there are going to have uh, low rates and um, you know you're going to have you know nice economic activity as a result. Roger, we're uh, we could have made a whole show out of the uh, nuclear energy uh, topic, I suppose, and and we're quickly running out of time. We've got some more time, but not as much as I'd like and as much as we need here. Uh, energy distribution utilities. So those are pipelines and the like. Yeah, pipeline. You know, the wires and pipes, and this is a fee-generated business. Um, they're they have very little environmental uh, um, exposure. Most of them are regulated either on the they're pretty much regulated either on the federal level, which is actually better. Uh, or on or on the state level, um, but uh, they tend to be very very steady and, and good income generators. A lot of those that I cover are uh, MLPs, uh, master limited partnerships, and um, you know again very good for very good for income, very good for dividend growth. What kind of yields you might expect from that sector? Well, some of them get you know it, you can get some some that are fairly safe, and uh, it really depends on the environment. But you know after this uh, flash crash of the last month. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, eight nine percent, even even in in some cases, um, the, in very very solid outfits. Um, you know, you're looking at the ones that organize as corporations. You're probably talking about about you know five six percent. But um, uh, you know, again, uh, some some nice yields. And this is really you know with along with the water companies is probably the safest groups that I look at, highest percentage. Well, let's talk about the water companies. It seems to me that the yields on the water utilities are very low, generally speaking. What what would you, what sort of yields can you get from water utilities? Well, the two best ones that I, the two that I like the most are Aqua America and American Water Works, and they both yield a little over four percent. Um, you know, they have been increasing dividend growth. I, I mentioned um, uh, that uh, that's a, a trade-off sometimes for for the yield. If you look at 
companies that uh, you know are, are may not yield as much, but are, are growing those dividends. They often tend to be better investments. Um, you know, the water companies have lagged the last few years, so I think you have some pretty pretty solid values. Um, this is a business that is growing primarily because of the fragmentation of our water system. We were used to having you know very a, a very widespread um, ability to to just go out and drill wells, and so therefore our system is very diffuse. Roughly 80% owned by municipalities, but of course, as we know, municipalities are very cash-strapped these days, and um, you know a lot of our urban systems are, are coming to pieces. So um, these companies are acquiring systems, and they're becoming larger. And as they acquire systems, so these you know, they, they it's accretive to earnings. Um, it adds to and it adds to dividends. So it's a very simple formula. I think you know if you look at you know we mentioned um, that uh, uh, you know efficient markets and so forth. I think markets are Basically efficient in the in the longer term, though uh, you know it's it, it's the stock market's a weighing machine in the longer term. In the short term, in my opinion, it's more often a, a popularity contest, and um, you know uh, values aren't are, are often not recognized. Um, I think that in this case, uh, at this point, there's a lot of unrecognized value. I think that uh, eventually we'll see the share prices uh, ratchet up again uh, to reflect that, as we've seen in, in years past, but. Um, you know, this is a—it's an investing strategy uh, that uh, it requires a certain amount of patience. I think the dividends are, are um, you know, give us some incentive to, to uh, you know, to wait some of these things out. But um, I, I think the water companies are a very strong value for anyone, you know, looking for a long-term value, you know, modest yield, uh, but um, uh, definitely a growing one, and certainly a, a very high degree of, of safety because uh, demand for water varies very little. Um, um, regarding a, regardless of what's happening in, in the world. Well, uh, what about, uh, I, I want to ask you before we, uh, before we say go, goodbye to you, I want to find out what you think those inefficient or those, those, uh, those companies, uh, some stories or some ideas where you think the market has it wrong. But we've got to touch just a moment on natural resource utilities. Could you define what that sector is? Well, these would be companies that are focused on the, um, on producing. Um, they might be a little bit uh, safer than than uh, say a wildcatter uh, because they tend to be substantial companies paying dividends, or they might uh, be attached to um, um, uh, you know a, a utility which is providing very steady cash flow. So those are they, what are, these are sort of um, the, the 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 conservative investors uh, best the ones that I cover in utility forecaster the conservative investors. Best way of, of of playing in energy uh, uptrend, which I think uh, we're going to see over 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 time. I think um, you know we we have more demand and uh, and greater regulation um, of how we produce energy, and that means less supply. Uh, so I think I think we're looking at higher prices and and higher profits for these companies. And again, they're they are conserv they are a conservative way of playing that. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite uh, in the natural resource utility sector? We talked uh, before we went on the air a bit about Penn West. Uh, is that one that you might consider as a top pick in this area? Yeah, I think that's an interesting one you, you brought up for several reasons. I mean, this is a, a producer. It's also a, a Canadian income trust that's going to convert to a corporation uh, in 2011. And this is a, a, a uh, something that uh, everyone has known is going to happen since um, Halloween of 2006 when the Canadian government announced they were going to uh, start taxing income trusts beginning in 2011, and uh, that everybody would have to convert pretty much to a corporation. Well, 
you know, the government there has made things a lot easier than a lot of people thought. They slashed corporate tax rates. They basically made the conversion process uh, very low risk and, and very and tax free. And um, so, as a result, these conversions uh, have, have have been a lot more painless than than people thought. And also, you know, paying out all these dividends over time has made these companies very very disciplined. And that's definitely true of Penn West. We don't know what they're going to pay when they convert. They haven't told us yet. Um, but this is a very, a very strong company. It trades about 80% of the value of its reserves. And I think, uh, you know, all the confirmation you need that they're, of what they have um, is a, uh, a deal announced uh, last month with um, the China Investment Corporation. That's the uh, largest sovereign wealth fund in, in China where they've pooled a lot of their resources and, in, and they're investing them around the, around the world. Um, and uh, they've, they've made a five, they've purchased 5% of the company's underlying, uh, Units and they've also uh, taken a half stake um, in an oil sands venture, putting up substantially all the capital to fund uh, Pin West, uh, the development of Pin West properties. So um, they obviously see a lot of value there. I think this oil sands venture uh, is going to benefit both companies. It's not something Pin West had been counting on. Um, so there, there's a lot of value there. I think the market definitely, uh, you know, has it wrong here under 20, and I think. Um, you know, again, its its livelihood depends on energy prices. But I'm uh, I'm I'm bullish on energy, and uh, I think this company has a lot in the ground, a lot of things that can give it a very strong rising uh, production profile, which I think is something investors really need to look at with their energy companies. Mm. I really I think we got to have you back next week if you're available because there's so many more things I wanted to ask you about. And one thing I do want to ask before we part company today is. Uh, we have people on this show that are very gloomy about the global economy, and I know you don't share those views, but let's just play hypothetical for a minute. Let's suppose that some of the people like Robert Prechter, who's been on the show, Ian Gordon, uh, David Tice, various people, are right, and we do have a situation ahead of us that is something akin to the 1930s or even worse, as many of these gentlemen are suggesting. How many of these utility companies can survive this sort of, let's say, not 100-year flood, but a 1,000-year flood? Well, you know, they 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 uh, basically, like I said, they made it through 2008, which was a pretty bad time, particularly for uh, for credit. And these are very capital intensive companies, so credit is a big issue. One thing that makes me, uh, you know, more confident at this point is the fact that they've used the last year to uh, cut back and 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 do all the re- do the refinancings they need to do. I mean, obviously, if we hit, uh, you know, a period of prolonged uh, sluggish demand for energy or uh, uh, um, or even negative demand for energy, which uh, no doubt we would if if we were uh, to hit that sort of a, a, a bad patch. Um, you know, you wouldn't see the kind of growth in these in these in- enterprises. You wouldn't see the kind of capital spending that that pushes up earnings. But you know, on the other hand, it, this is a very cash uh, rich industry. Um, you don't have those types of commitments being made unless uh, they have very long term regulatory agreements put in in place. So. This is not really where the vulnerability, I think, lies in the economy. I think, um, uh, again, they they made it through 2008. They were able to, uh, they've been able to strengthen themselves, fortify themselves since then. Certainly, I don't know of any industry or any executives that are really talking, you know, extreme bullishness here. And these companies are uh, right there in the you know, on the front line. They they know when you know industry is op- operating and when uh, you know when companies are are you know demanding. Uh, uh, energy. I mean, they're 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 probably the best. I think uh, canary in the coal mine. Mm. But again, they've deleveraged, and uh, that's really the, the key. They they went the exact opposite direction the last decade that um, 
that uh, the banking system, for example, did. And served him well in 2008, and they've kept going in that direction in 2009. Well, Unfortunately, we're out of time. Do you think you could come back next week and talk to us some more? Uh, let's, uh, let's talk about it. That'd be great. I'd, I'd love to do that. Okay, Roger. Let's, uh, we'll try to get you back on next week because I have a whole list of things I want to ask you about. Thank you so much for your upbeat report on a, on a way that we might be able to generate income for ourselves in the future. Folks, don't go away. After the commercial break, I'm going to be back with Ian Lambert. He's the president of Tradewinds uh, Trade Ventures. It's a very exciting company with an exploration target and project next to a million, uh, next to a world-class gold deposit in Ontario. We'll be right back with Mr. Lambert. Don't go away. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. American Bonanza Gold's project, located in Arizona, is scheduled for production in 2010. American Bonanza Gold announced the positive results of its recent feasibility study at its 100% owned Copperstone Gold Mine. The mine is estimated to produce an average of 45,000 ounces of gold annually. At the current spot gold price, this will result in an IRR of 120%. Join the gold bull market. Invest in American Bonanza Gold. Visit the website at AmericanBonanza.com for more exciting information. Don't miss this great opportunity. Barkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Gold Fields in British Columbia. Barkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Barkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Barkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. Apollo Gold is a gold-producing and exploration company that recently brought the brand-new Black Fox Mine into production. Apollo's 100% owned Black Fox Mine is located in the world-renowned gold-producing district of Timmins, Ontario, Canada. It's expected to produce over 100,000 ounces of gold annually. Apollo Gold also has tremendous potential for additional gold discovery as they continue their current exploration program on their recent new discovery at the Gray Fox property, which is adjacent to the Black Fox Mine, as well as its new land acquisition of Pike River. With gold prices near an all-time high, investors should consider Apollo Gold as an outstanding opportunity to invest in an undervalued junior gold mining company, well positioned to take advantage of a bull gold market. Apollo Gold trades on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol AGT and on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol APG. Visit Apollo's website at www.apollogold.com. Apollo Gold, a golden opportunity for investment. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. 
You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I want to thank each of you for being with us, and we want to thank our sponsors also for making this show uh, possible. The sponsors uh, for the second hour are Barkerville Gold, Magellan Minerals, Apollo Gold, Columbus Silver, Coronado Resources, Uranium Energy, Gold Rich Mining, and Canico, Canico Resources. Well, I'm delighted to have with me uh, at this time, uh, I have with me uh, Ian Lambert. He's the president and CEO of uh, Tradewinds Ventures, and Tradewinds uh, trades on the Toronto Venture Exchange under the symbol TWD. It trades on the pink sheets under the symbol TWDIF, as in Frank. There are approximately 127 million shares outstanding. The stock's been trading at about 15 or 16 cents, and that gives it a market cap of only about $20 million, and I say only $20 million because the company does have uh, a pretty good resource, a gold resource already established. And one of the things I wasn't aware of until I talked to Mr. Lambert here a couple of days ago in Vancouver, where I'm talking to you from today, we were at the uh, at the resource uh, uh, Cambridge House Resource Conference here in Vancouver, was uh, that Tradewinds has uh, not only have has gold uh, mineralization at depth, but very close to the surface, and this really changes the potential economics in my mind, and uh, and and very I think very undervalued at this point in time. Uh, at least that's the way it looks to me. Uh, so welcome, uh, Ian. I want to want you to uh, tell our tell your story to our listeners. Uh, welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Well, thanks, Jay, very much for having me on your show. I'm really pleased to be here. It was um, nice to meet. I, I, go ahead. Yes. I was just going to say that uh, you've kind of hit the nail on the head there. Um, when we started working at Detour Lake, it's uh, north of Timmins in the Abitibi Greenstone Belt. Uh, we started around the beginning of 2004, and we were drilling for deeper, high-grade gold. And uh, after a couple of years, changed our focus to uh, near-surface mineralization development. And about that time, uh, Detour Gold Corporation was formed and took over the uh, property next door to us from a company called Palangio Resources, and I think you know that story fairly well. I know it very well, and we had, in fact, Ingrid Hibbard with us earlier today to talk about the new or revised uh, Palangio explorations. But go ahead. Right. So um, Detour Gold has certainly done an amazing job of moving their project forward, and they have uh, developed a very large resource next door to us. And um, you know we're very excited for them, and, and uh, we have a joint venture on the adjacent property directly to the west of their new mine development program. Mm-hmm. That's the property that we're operating as, explorer, uh, as operator on and exploring that property, developing a, a parallel zone structure to what they have called the M-zone structure, mm-hmm. so primarily gold. It's a volcanic intrusion, and uh, I'll stay away from the technical stuff by saying it's, it's quite a nuggety gold, uh, disseminated gold throughout the property. Um, it's very, very similar to what they have next door. At this point in time, we've drilled off over 125,000 meters of uh, diamond drilling on that property, and we've developed a resource, a global resource, of, um, at depth and at near surface of 
about 4 million ounces on the wow. property and the next one right beside us. And that's almost 50% inferred and 50% indicated category. Mm-hmm. These are all, all the numbers I'm quoting are National Instrument 43101 compliant numbers. Sure. Which is our standard for reporting in Canada. Mm-hmm. The, um, the property on, that we have starts at the eastern boundary of the detour property and heads west. And we've started working at that eastern boundary and we've now uh, developed a pit that expands for almost 1.3 to 1.5 kilometers in length. And the the reason I have a variance there is that we're still drilling. We've just finished a current drill program, and we expect to update our uh, pit model and our resource estimate update by the end of the summer. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that that uh, resource will be at least 1.5 kilometers in length. Wow. And as you mentioned, within that, uh, there's a total resource of almost 1.5 million ounces at this point in time. And our drill program has been designed to try and increment that to over 2 million ounces under this next resource update, which, of course, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, Ian, do you see this as a, contigu- a continuation of the mineralization from that, um, I guess, 10 million ounce plus detour lake deposit? Is this the same geology, do you think? I think it's identical geology. Uh, the Sunday Lake deformation zone passes right through here, and the whole area is replete with a number of on-echelon structures that are all very, very similar in nature. And, uh, you know, the levels of similarity are not only in what we're seeing when we drill for it, but we've done some metallurgical testing and the recovery rates are the same. We're getting rates as high as 95% recovery from this material. It's really just strictly gold and hardly any other byproduct uh, uh, metals at all. Mm -hmm. That would be worth talking about at least. And... um, you know, I think that really there's just these series of structures and they're just ab- adjacent to each other uh, and they stretch for kilometers or miles. Uh, Ian, are you there? Yep, I am. Yep. Okay, I was hearing some. So uh, so the potential here, you've got a lot of exploration to do yet, is that right? Well, yes, I think that uh, what, we've, what we've decided to do is to try and move our own property towards a feasibility study and eventually develop our own mill. Um, Detour is going to have such a big operation next door that uh, chances of us dovetailing into their overall scheme of things is um, less likely than uh, the success we might have building our own mill. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly there's lots of uh, places on the planet where there's mills side by side. You've got a big enough resource that justifies it. Sure. So what we're trying to do is build the pit big enough to get to that point, and we think uh, we can do that over the next few years. Uh, it does take a long time to build these things out, but uh, we have to do more drilling. And uh, we also uh, have to do a lot of studies for the environmental side of things. Sure. So, so what we're doing right now is we're starting our baseline studies to uh, work into the environmental impact assessments that have to be done. Mm-hmm. And we're uh, trying to expand the pit to uh, achieve um, at least 3 million ounces, potentially 4 million ounces or more over the next couple of years so that we could have a, maybe by the end of next year, we could do a preliminary economic assessment and within 18 to 24 months after that, we could be at feasibility stage with a big pit. You mentioned building a mill. Uh, one question I meant to ask you as we got started and failed to do so was, uh, do you see Tradewinds as an exploration company or a company that could evolve into a producer? Well, frankly, uh, we are an exploration company, and we would have to change the whole fabric of our company to become a producer. Uh, one of the uh, very positive things that we have is in our relationship with Detour Gold as their joint venture partner is they have the option to operate this once the feasibility stage is, is completed and it goes into production. And they're going to be building a huge infrastructure network there for their current operation 
and it would make eminent sense for them to operate uh, a second mill, even if uh, it was a separate entity. Mm-hmm. Well, um, you, you would think that if you could uh, prove up anything like the 10 million ounces that they have next door, that you might have some competitor, competitive bidders, uh, perhaps, if you were looking for someone to take you out. Well, I think that in the nature of uh, being a junior exploration company is, is that you really expect eventually to be taken out by a larger corporation and mm-hmm. uh, some kind of uh, consolidation. And um, that wouldn't surprise me at all. That could happen as soon as a few months down to two or three years from now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we don't know maybe detours to take out candidates. A lot to talk about that, too. So, yeah. uh, you know, we just have to carry on with the project that we've got moving to- forward mm-hmm. to try and um, get a better valuation for the ounces we have in the ground today and to add ounces so that mm-hmm. when the buyout comes, and it probably will, then we'll be well-positioned to get maximum value for our shareholders. How much uh, money do you have in the till now, and how far will that go uh, in terms of your drilling program uh, for the rest of this year and into next year? Well, you know, I, I've listened to some of your other uh, speakers, and certainly there's some concern there about what's, what the future brings for us. So we're being very cautious in, in using our money, but we do have around $4 million in the Treasury right now. Um, our plans right now would take us to a little over $3 million by the end of the year based on the work that we've already approved and have underway. Um, we may increase the amount of expenditures that we're uh, going to undertake between now and in the first part of next year, but that would be leave us still at least $2 million going into next year, mm-hmm. um, and we're going to be very cautious with that uh, going forward, trying to maximize the, the, the results we get for the money we're spending. Are you going to have a steady flow of, of assays coming out that investors can look forward to in the near term here? Yes, we've just uh, put out a news release just, just before the show that we were all at, and, um, you know, the results were very good. We were very pleased with them. Every, every hole is mineralized in many, many uh, sec- intersections. And uh, good grades, certainly well, uh, well above the pit grade, average pit grade. So we're very thrilled with that. All of the drilling we've just completed doing is within and around the pit area. So naturally we do expect them all to be mineralized pretty well. Um, we will have about another uh, 15 holes yet to announce from that program. Uh, plus, we're going to start some more drilling on our next property over uh, through the summer, so that'll be coming out again. We're going to have the resource estimate update. We're going to have the results from the metallurgical study. So we will have quite a lot of news coming out over the se- next several months. What do you think your your biggest risk is for uh, shareholders at this point in time, people that might buy your stock at this low price? Well, you know, I, I often look at that, and I suppose, um, you know, the, the collapse of the economy and people... Uh, not investing in anything is probably the biggest risk that we face, and that we don't have a whole lot of control over that. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other side of things, if you really believe in, in gold as a protection for that kind of scenario, then I would think that even uh, companies like ourselves that aren't yet in production but have a solid asset, a hard asset in the ground, are going to um, maintain some value over and above you know, uh, other, other types of entities. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I think really, uh, even though we're a junior company, there's huge leverage on, on investing in our company to date. Downside risks, almost nothing. We're, we're trading at $10 per ounce in the ground for our resource. Now, um, our peer group is $43. So we should be able to leverage the value of our company today just based on the fact that we ought to be, at least with our peer group, considering the geopolitical uh, situation for us being in Canada, beside an advancing exploration pro- or development project right beside us. I mean, this whole area is going to be a, a mining camp. And uh, it couldn't be a better location if, if you had to pick it. So I think we're going to get better value for what we've got, and 
then in addition, we're going to grow by adding new ounces as we do these programs and publish the results and update the resource estimates. Well, excellent. Unfortunately, we've got to go, Ian. We're yep. out of time, completely out of time. I want to yep. thank you. We'll have you back on again sometime in the near future. Tell investors, uh, tell listeners where they can uh, track your company. What's your website? Right. Trading symbols TWD or TWDIF in the U.S. And the site is www.tradewindsventures, one big word, tradewindsventures.com. Okay, Thanks excellent. so much for having me. I do appreciate it. All right. Thank you very much. Folks, we're not even going to take a break here. We're going to go right to Roger Wiegand. Roger, are you there? Roger's here. Roger, excellent. Thank you. What are your thoughts on the markets today? We've seen gold hit new highs again. Well, it looks like a double top in gold. We shifted over to the August contract on the futures. Uh, the last price I see now is $1,238.20, so it's a little bit off, just a touch. Uh, July silver is 1825. We've had rallies. Usually when you and I go to the Vancouver show, why then the, immediately all the metals rally, so I can't do much trading. But um, we're happy to have it. And uh, the Swiss is up, the Canadian is up, and uh, the euro is coming back now a little bit, but it's still under 120. But I don't think it touched those options, which we figured would set off a big selling event. That did not happen. Okay. Uh, the, the U.S. dollar today is uh, 88.15, touched probably 88.5, and now it's going to come back because the euro is recovering a little bit. The long bonds are 124.28. Uh, the E-minis, the S&Ps, are 10.60, and they've got 10.50 support, which is solid. But mm-hmm. gold has double-topped, and it appears that uh, it could back up a little bit and correct, which we did expect. Uh, what would you see on the downside there, Roger? What would you see on the near-term downside for gold? And we only have about 30 seconds. Okay, the, down, the downside that I see is probably 1150 1150 Yeah. You know, uh, Roger, I had a lady at the show here complain. She says, I love your show, Jay, but you don't give Roger Wiegand enough time. And I said, that's because we crowd Roger into the last segment, and he gets squeezed by everybody who talks too long, probably most of all the host of this show. We only have 30 seconds, so I've got to say goodbye. Roger, we're going to have to get you on earlier next week so that uh, you don't get squeezed out, I suppose. Sounds good. So, uh, in any event, folks, I want to thank you uh, again for listening to this show. Uh, we want to let you know that next week we're going to have Arch Crawford with us, and I think Roger Conrad will be coming back with us. Very possibly Dr. Robert McHugh will be with us, too. We've got some more interesting companies to tell you about, so we're going to be uh, we're going to be uh, checking out here right now. Uh, I want to thank again uh, the people at Voice America for making this show logistically possible. I'm talking about Tacey Trump, my senior executive producer, Ruben Colombe, my operations manager, Justin Jackman, my engineer, and thanks to each of you for listening. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now the thing about time is that time isn't really real. It's just your point of view. How does it feel for you? Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 